Oh, we're continuing this morning in our new teaching series for the new year called Fresh Start. And who doesn't want a fresh start? right? Who doesn't want a clean slate? And as we looked at last week, that's exactly what Jesus offers us every day. Mercies are made new every day, a fresh start every day to answer the call, the invitation to follow Jesus, to pick up our cross and to follow him. And so we started our first Sunday of the new year last week talking about that. And as a church, our focus being Jesus and his ways and his teaching and doing a covenant renewal service last week, of having that be our focus, our our aim for all that we are, becoming more like Jesus, loving him, serving him, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Saying yes to Jesus means saying yes to this adventure, being stirred up to stirring up things for the kingdom of God. For sure, what I think we can all agree is that this fresh start is so worth it living that life with Jesus. So this week, we're going to talk about uh, another passage of Scripture. We look at, okay, once we get that fresh start, once we've received whatever that is, that, that healing, that newness of life, that hope, how do we respond? Once we've experienced that grace, you're like, oh, we, we responded last week by, okay, if we follow Jesus. Well, there's another form of response here this morning. We're going to look at Luke chapter 17. Only one slide this morning. Isn't that weird? <laughs> it's usually eight, <laughs> at least. Short. It's a short one today, but it packs a punch. Are you ready? Luke chapter 17, this is a, verses 11 through 19. And honestly, I could have put that on two. Let's be honest. Yep. That's a little small. Eight verses. Okay. This is the reading of the word of God. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and we respond. Thanks be to God. You know, over the years, uh, it's, it's, I've, I know this about myself, it's been said that I have high attention to detail. Even as a small kid, I was very observant, kind of taking in all of the surroundings, very observant, high attention to detail. And as you grow up and you start doing, uh, I was very curious as a kid, right? And as you grow up, you start doing different um, leadership trainings or consultations or coaching, you know, these start turning into things like strengths where they say you have attention to detail or you're organized, you notice things, right? I can notice these sort of dynamics or social cues or nuances or things going on and we'll leave somewhere and I'll say something to my husband and he'll go, I didn't didn't even notice that. How did you see that? I, I didn't even notice X, Y, or Z, whatever that dynamic was. 
Yet the odd thing is that I'm not good at those um, optical illusions. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where like you see one picture, uh, but if you look at it for so long, it either starts turning and you get dizzy and want to throw up, or you see, <laughs> that's my experience, or you see the, the second picture of this optical illusion that you're supposed to. No, no matter how long I look at these things, it seems that I always miss the one detail that's supposed to unlock the second image. I always miss it. So although I have great attention to detail, these optical illusions just stump me. I think I have selective noticing. That's what I'm calling it. Kind of like selective hearing. I have selective noticing. Because if you send me to the pantry to find a box of whatever, I can't. I can't find my way out of that pantry to save my life. But I notice a lot of other things, that attention to detail. This morning in our passage, although it is short, although it is only eight verses, the details are important. We need to notice a lot of things this morning. First, we need to notice where this exchange takes place. You might have caught that it is between Samaria and Galilee neither inside nor outside of Galilee, Jewish territory. It's between Samaria and Galilee. And they stop in a town. So we're in a a borderland. Chicana writer and activist Gloria Enzaldua, her context is working alongside the U.S.-Mexican border. That's where she uh, thinks and reflects and writes. She says that borders are more than a geographic boundary. They're more, they're more than just geography. These borders are a social and cultural boundary as well. She writes that a borderland is a vague and undetermined place created by the emotional residue of an unnatural boundary. The prohibited and forbidden are its inhabitants. The prohibited and forbidden are its inhabitants. You know, knowing the tension between the Jews and the Samaritans at this time, also in this borderland where Jesus is stopping and having this encounter, it's also potentially hostile. It's potentially dangerous. Why do I say that? Why do we know that? Well, centuries before, you might remember this, talked about it in a teaching before, but centuries before, generations before, these were actually one people. The Samaritans and Jews were were one people. The Samaritans, in fact, considered themselves Jewish because they were descendants from the northern kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel. But after generations and generations of of changes and, and tensions wrought by the exile of these people and their return, they're now at odds with one another, at odds about just about everything, over scripture and its interpretation, over where to worship, what it means to be holy. Ultimately, the tension over time uh, turned uh, so violent, they're at the point now that they just don't interact with each other at all. You are to avoid Samaria at all costs. The Orthodox Jews of the day considered Samaritans not only heretical, but also ceremonially unclean. They're unwelcome, religiously offensive, even hated. You might remember a a little exchange that happens between Jesus and his disciples. It's here in a couple of chapters in the Gospel of Luke where this hatred for the Samaritan Samaritan people kind of comes out. 
It's when uh, they, they're going along, kind of Jesus starting on his, his missionary endeavors, and, and they stop in in the Samaritan village, and no one will receive them. No one will receive Jesus or open their doors. Uh, kind of goes against sort of these ancient traditions of hospitality that are very important for this ancient people. And so in response... Which two is it? James and John, I think. Yeah, James and John, in response to no one in the Samaritan village opening up their home to Jesus, they say, should we just firebomb them? Should we just call uh, fire from heaven to come down and consume the whole village? <laughs> yeah, you, should, you might miss over that one. Uh, verse 54. And when d- the disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? We can take care of this for you. He's <laughs> now, this is actually referencing Second uh, Kings when the prophet Elijah does call fire down from heaven to consume a group of 50 people who've been sent on behalf of the king because the king is ill and the king is going to other gods trying to receive healing. And Elijah sends a messenger to kind of challenge him. Like, what are you doing, king of Israel? <laughs> going to these other places for healing. King doesn't like this very much, so he sends 50 people after Elijah. So it's referencing this. You might think, oh, they're being respectful of Jesus. He's like this Elijah-like prophet figure. But at the same time, it's got to be one of those moments. Jesus rebukes them, okay? And they went to another village. No, don't do that. No, (laughs) no. I imagine it's got to be one of those moments where you go, Oh, Lord, help me. Help me with these people. Help me. They're in a borderland between Samaria and Galilee. And it seems that Jesus finds himself here time and time again. He intentionally chooses the path near Samaria. He frequents this place. This would have been a region where lepers would have lived because it was outside the city, part of the prohibited and forbidden, relegated to the borderland. And like other passages in Scripture, especially in Luke, it seems Jesus finds himself in these places a lot among the outcasts. Another detail we want to take note of uh, is that Jesus, he doesn't say initially, you know, you are healed. He says, go and present yourselves to the priest. Why does he do that? Jesus does heal the lepers. However, only a priest could pronounce a person as ritually clean. That's according to the law in Leviticus chapters 13 and 14. So this is why Jesus requires the lepers to go and show themselves to be healed to the priest because being named clean then would mean that they would once again be accepted into society, that they would be allowed to have that fresh start, to go home, to return. Jesus, on his own, heals them, yes. But they need that sort of announcement to the community from the priest. So Jesus commands them to follow the law. And so this question of where are the other nine seems a little like... um, disingenuous well they're going to show themselves to the priest like you told them to like you ordered them to they're following the law but how fascinating is it that the one who returns is 
a Samaritan, or as Jesus describes him, a foreigner. That is, a first century Jew who's been taught to hate Samaritans would not normally look to a Samaritan as an example. It should give us as readers here that amid the ordinary, or maybe in the back, the back roads, the backwoods of, of a borderland, something has changed. Something significant has happened here. But also begs the question to us this morning as we reflect, why would only one leper return? Was the Samaritan really the only one who realized he was healed? I mean, surely not. If they go to the priest, they have this announcement made, and they are, they are made whole. Why would, why would only one return? Did they not know the source of who had healed them? All the lepers were healed, but only one noticed Only one saw what that meant. And that attention to detail right there made all of the difference. Because he sees what has happened, the leper recognizes Jesus and his reign and his power. Because he sees what has happened, the leper has something for which to be thankful, praising God with a loud voice. Because he sees what has happened, the leper changes direction veering from his course toward a priest to first return to Jesus. Because he sees and notices, he recognizes the impact. Friends, I think what we see makes a difference. Reverend David Laus, in his commentary on this passage of Scripture, he says perspective is everything. What we see makes a difference, or how we see makes a difference. He says, in the face of adversity, do we see danger or opportunity? In the face of human need, do we see demand or gift? In the face of the stranger, do we see potential enemy or friend? When it comes to a fresh start, as one that the leper received... When it comes to a fresh start that we may have received in our own lives, do we recognize it? That leper did receive that fresh start. He was healed in such a way that he could return home and reenter society and into community and have a new life. Jesus says, your faith has made you well. You could translate this a couple of different ways. Eugene Peterson translates this, your faith has healed you and saved you. Your faith has healed and saved you. The Greek word, though, can be translated in any of these ways as healed, made well, saved. It can also be translated as in the King James Version, your faith has made you whole. I like that a lot. Your faith has made you whole. The man who turned back was not just healed. Because of his gratitude, he was able to make a connection with Jesus that offered him more than healing or ritual cleanliness. He was made whole. 
His faith made him well. When God gives us a fresh start, do we notice it? Do we recognize the fresh start of grace for what it is? And how do we respond? How do we respond? Martin Luther was once asked to describe the nature of true worship. You might think from a reformer and theologian like Martin Luther, he would have quite a long answer. The nature of true worship, he said, is the tenth leper turning back. The tenth leper turning back to thank and praise Jesus. True worship, recognizing what God has done and giving God the glory. I wonder how might we be missing out on a greater wellness or wholeness that God is offering us because we are not taking the time to stop, to connect with God, to recognize God for where God is, to see Jesus as he shows up among us, and to offer gratitude and praise and thanksgiving. To take notice of where God shows up and is changing things. And you might say, yeah, but okay, Rachel, this whole, like, this was pretty obvious. I mean, they were lepers, and then they weren't. <laughs> like, that's pretty obvious. That's pretty, it, it seems like it was instantaneous, but even so, there was a process. Did you catch that in the passage? It said, and as they went, they were healed. Sort of as they went along this process that Jesus had offered them to go and to show themselves to the priest, then they were healed. Because the truth is, friends, the change that happens in our lives is honestly sometimes slow. How we long for it to be instant. How we long for God to open up the heavens, to write it in the sky what we're supposed to be doing. How we long for the things that we've been struggling with to change in an instant. And sometimes they do. Sometimes we experience the miraculous in that way. Or more often than not, it's a process. Change and healing takes time. And in this sort of mysterious way, God invites us to be participants in our own process, in our own experience of change and growth into grace. God is always the one to give us this grace and healing. But the, to, the, the degree to which we respond and engage with God, I think, can affect our awareness of the change, our experience of God's power at work, transforming and moving. I think some of us, to be honest, me included, we need a fresh start this morning in the form of a fresh perspective. Maybe it's just simply in a new way of looking at things to help me to see God where before I wasn't seeing your power and your, your possibility. A new detail maybe that you have skipped over. 
And maybe that new detail will help you to see that your growth and that your change, it has happened gradually over time, that you're not the same person you were today that you were five years ago, that there's been growth. And so maybe today the fresh perspective that we need is to just to pause and to say, have that moment to look back and to give God thanks. Because we don't notice these things unless we take the time to stop and to notice. But some of us, I think, need an even, I don't know, a um, bigger fresh start sounds weird, but a, a bigger overhaul. <laughs> a deeper overhaul of this fresh perspective because things have been the way that they are for so long that we have no hope they'll ever change. And so we need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit to not just give our eyes eyes to see, but our heart to receive. Our heart to imagine where God could make a change. You know, that's really why I've invited you in to this experiment that we've been doing since last Sunday. Some of you have picked up your book, Dynamite Prayer. We're doing it. We're doing it. This was already in the notes, I promise, Kim. (laughs) But this is a big reason of why I invited you in to this new experiment of prayer. It's very short each week of a scripture and, and a reflection and a breakthrough prayer with an opportunity to write your own that throughout the day it might become sort of this, this rhythm for you to reconnect with God, to notice God's power and the possibility. Especially this past week on day four, it's entitled Unbelief. And I think it speaks to those places in life that we can sometimes be where we've lost hope that anything can change at all. This attitude of, this is just the way that it is. It's always been like this. Some things will never change. That attitude when we can't see the hope or possibility of it being different, whether it's in a relationship in your life or in a job or a personal struggle that you have, a situation that you're currently facing where you've just resigned yourself to go, this is just the way that it is. You're stuck feeling like it'll always be this way. This day spoke to my spirit of stuckness, friends. Day four of unbelief. Says this in the book, a perspective that assumes change for the better is impossible, and even if it's desired and inhibits openness to a new potential God-designed solutions. I didn't read that very well. This perspective that assumes that change for the better is impossible, and even if it's desired, this perspective inhibits an openness to new potential that God has designed. Beware of any type of faithless resignation about what is and choose instead to view everything and everyone with potential for God's transformation, including yourself. The same power by which Jesus rose from the dead continues alive and active now. I'm going to read that last one again, that that quotation from the book, beware of any type of faithless resignation about what is and choose instead to view everything and everyone with potential for God's 
transformation. And I invite you just to pause for a second. Take a deep breath and sort of assess where you are right now, honestly. Have you assumed an attitude of unbelief in any aspect of your faith that limits the God potential that you might otherwise see in yourself, those around you, or your current situation? Have you assumed an attitude of unbelief in any aspect of your faith that limits the God potential that you might otherwise see in yourself, in those around you, in your current situation? Each day, as I said, there's a breakthrough prayer, and some of mine this week have been simply this. Help me to see the possibility of your power. This power of God that's alive and at work in the world and available to us if we only have eyes to see it. The one from unbelief, day four, is simply, come Holy Spirit. My prayer for us this morning is that God would just give us a fresh start an outpouring of his grace and spirit so that we might have a fresh perspective to see where God's work is present and moving, God's power available, that we might see real change and transformation happen. And not just now and in the future, but we can see how it's happened over time, that we have eyes and perspective to see and to notice where God has been at work and present all along. So that as the leper, the one who returns, we might give God all of the glory and praise. Sometimes in seasons of frustration, when you haven't seen a change, when you feel stuck, when you feel like it's always going to be this way, it may be hard to praise God. Have you ever experienced that? It may be hard to worship and show gratitude and joy, and thanksgiving. And yet I believe an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in this fresh way and this fresh perspective can truly give us eyes to see that even in those moments when we're so frustrated and maybe even angry that this is our lot in life, that this is where we are, we can still be surrounded by the power and presence of God, knowing that we are not alone. If all else fails, at least I know I am not alone. But I stand here with you, surrounded by God's power and presence. And in that way, we can still give God praise. That even if it's a process, we can still be made whole. And so, friends, if you haven't started this prayer experiment, I encourage you to do so. If you haven't picked up your book yet, I think we still have some more copies. Apparently, it's on Kindle as well. But I have copies for you in the front. And if you skipped a few days or if you missed a day or if you haven't started yet, it's okay. Just do it tomorrow. Don't try to catch up. 
and do three in one day. Don't do that. Be kind to yourself. You'll hear in the newsflash here in a couple of minutes two different opportunities that I'm inviting you to just to come and have conversation together about things that you're learning or things that you're hearing or things that you feel like God is showing you. Maybe what God is calling you to right now through this prayer experiment, I would love to hear from you guys and how you're experiencing it. So save the date. It's coming up here in a few weeks toward the end of the 28 days. But again, not going to be legalistic about this. If you haven't completed the 28 days, still come. Still come and have conversation with us. It's been really powerful for me, and I hope it has been for you as well. Friends, let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for this opportunity that we have to gather for worship. Help us to not take that for granted this morning, but to notice even in the little things, the little things of a warm place to come and to gather, the little things of a child dancing along to the worship music in the aisles, the little things of an encouraging conversation over a cup of coffee with our church family, the little things of an echo in a gym as we sing that sometimes is frustrating, but today was beautiful. <laughs> God, help us to see you at work in the ordinary, mundane, every ordinary thing of everyday life. Help us to see how you've been at work growing in us and changing things among us that we don't lose hope that all things will be made new. That we don't lose hope that all things will be whole. So come, Holy Spirit, come. Would you pour yourself out upon us that we may have the heart of the leper this morning to praise you for all you've done, for all your goodness, and for your mercies that are never failing. We love you, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.